Welcome to episode 12 of A Socialist Reads Atlas Shrugged. My name is Jonathan Seyfried. I am the self-identified socialist who is doing a close reading of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. So last episode, we had the scene between Dagny and James Taggart, and you can see really what the uh, situation is that Dagny faces when trying to accomplish goals. In a sense, you can see what Dagny is up against. And it comes through in a lot of ways in that scene with all the different arguments that James Taggart throws out at her when he gets the news that Dagny has went ahead and placed an order for... Reardon metal in order to do repairs on the Rio Norte line, as opposed to just waiting, continuing to wait for Orin Boyle. Now, this idea of what Dagny Taggart is up against really comes through in the next scene. But before we get to that scene, I would like to carry out our tradition of a moment of non-contradiction. Today's moment of non-contradiction is from Reddit. There is a subreddit called Stupid Paul, and that particular subreddit is designed to investigate Marxism and critiques of capitalism. And on that subreddit, there was a user named Mario Wario 64 and Mario Wario 64 put up a question on this subreddit would liberals like atlas shrugged well many liberals do not like atlas shrugged but let's just dig into what this post says in its entirety quote i've been reading atlas shrugged it's for a scholarship please spare me recently Something that I find fascinating in relation to contemporary politics is the character of Dagny Taggart. From what I have read, she appears to be the ideal girl boss due to her confident, unilateral, successful actions. Her brother Jim and some other antagonist characters could also be what they'd consider to be, quote, mediocre white men, unquote, as well. I know that Dagny's lack of empathy might be off-putting for some, but from what I understand, similar strong female characters in Game of Thrones were like this, and they happen to be pretty popular among liberals. So, in a hypothetical world where more liberals read Atlas Shrugged, or it was made into a high-budget HBO or Netflix show, Would Dagny, and thereby her and Rand's philosophy, be popular among them as a result? Perhaps being devoid of the prejudice of being associated with with libertarians might also be needed for this experiment to work, but I'll leave that detail up to you. So there are a few answers there. You can read them. I'll post the link to this subreddit post on the show notes. But basically what 
we've got here is an observation that Dagny Taggart has these characters, characteristics of a hero, and it's appealing. It's appealing to even someone who would not agree with the overall philosophical approach of Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged. So when we are thinking about one of these big questions that I have set out for the podcast as a whole, which is Dagny Taggart as a true hero, this is what I'm talking about, that there's all of these interesting moments where Ayn Rand is writing this female lead character in a way that's very much before her time. So let's go ahead and open up the book. So earlier I was talking about what Dagny is up against, and Nabokov had this quote about the writing of fiction, and it goes along something like this, that the novelist's job is to put their character up into a tree, somehow get them to climb up into that tree, and then throw rocks at them until they find their way down. And I think later writers have actually pieced that, parsed that into Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So Act 1 is you send your main character up a tree. Act 2 is you throw rocks at them. And then Act 3 is you find a way to get them down or... They, they find their way to climb down from that tree. So here in Act 1, in the first chapter, in the beginning of the book, we've got Dagny Taggart encountering the obstacles. She finds herself up there in that tree, and then we as readers get a sense for what she is up against. In the previous scene, we've got all of the different things that James Taggart accuses her of being someone who doesn't have any feelings and then dragging, trying to drag out everything by talking about how there's all these long, lengthy procedures that the board will have to go through. And you really get a sense of how when Dagny is trying to be the kind of leader that that we want her to be, that she's going to run into pushback all the time. But then in the last scene of chapter one, there's a different kind of pushback. And that comes in the form of the mysterious fellow Owen Kellogg. But before we get to the heart of that last scene, there's a couple things I want to point out in the transitional transitional scenes. First of all, Eddie... Willers has been there the whole time witnessing this interaction between Dagny and James, but he doesn't say anything. He's just there witnessing it because, well, as is explained before the scene, Dagny would have to just replay the whole thing for him anyway, and he helps to carry out all of her plans, so on and so forth, so he might as well just sit in on the meeting. And we've got this little paragraph after the scene with Dagny and James, in which 
Eddie Willers reflects on how it feels very natural for him to see Dagny as the operating vice president, someone that today we would call the COO. And he feels it's natural for her to be in that role, quote, even though she was a woman, unquote. So basically another acknowledgement of the very patriarchal context here where there were very, very few women executives for large companies or probably any companies in the 1950s. It happened rarely, but uh, here we've got the observation that this is strange. This is a very unusual situation right off the bat, but Dagny is the type of person who is excellent at that job. She's always moving things forward. And that is exactly what is referenced in the next paragraph there as he observes that the memos on her desk are going to be sifted through very quickly moving forward. So Dagny asks to have Owen Kellogg arrive, but in the meantime, she is able to have a phone conversation with the owner of the music publishing company, and she asks that person who knows obviously all about all the new music that's coming out if Hallie has written a fifth concerto. The person says, no, Hallie has not. And then listen to this. This is what the music publisher says. Quote, I can't say for certain he has dropped out of public life entirely, but I'm sure we would have heard of it if he had died. Unquote. So Dagny had asked, is he dead? <laughs> uh, and the and heirs who owns the music publishing company says, no, we would have heard of it, but he has dropped out of public life. And that, of course, is foreshadowing the overall dropping out that takes place among the producers of society. So Ayn Rand originally had intended this novel to be titled The Strike in order to play out a scenario in which it's the producers who go on strike as opposed to the workers, or as opposed to. That, that dichotomy strikes me as problematic because the producers are also workers. Everyone is working in the economy. I talked in an earlier episode about care work. And so just, you know, I wanted to point out that, that when I said it that way, I had a little bit of a thought about maybe that's a problematic distinction there, and, and it is. All right, so Owen Kellogg comes to Dagny's office and announces that he's quitting, and this particular scene has some funny valence, some funny resonance in 2022 because we have had in our economy a phenomenon known as the Great Resignation, where a lot of people, because of the COVID pandemic, got a new and different kind of 
sense of what's important in life and decided that they needed to not just go along humdrum and accept dissatisfaction in their work, but instead to take a dramatic step toward their own self-fulfillment, quit their job, and find a job that is more fulfilling or move on to something else. And that's not the reason, by the way, that I did a transition out of the work I was doing. For me, it was more of the stresses of the pandemic itself on the job of high school teaching. Just a little aside there. But now I have a chance to do projects that I've had on the back burner for a while, like this one. But that's not what Owen Kellogg is saying here. Owen Kellogg is answering in monosyllabic answers to Dagny's questions about why is he quitting, and he just will not reveal. He says he likes his job, things are fine, but he just wants to quit. And so this is, of course, very disturbing, as it would be to anybody. You want to know, like, what is wrong? Like, what's going on? Why do you, why are you leaving the job if everything seems to be okay? Because in the role of manager, Dagny would naturally want to find out if there's a problem and then try to address it. But Owen Kellogg is not giving information. And when Dagny tries to offer Owen the superintendent job, which is something that someone so young would not normally be offered, here is what his reaction is. Quote, his face showed no reaction, as if the words had no more significance for him than for a savage who had never heard of railroads, unquote. And of course, the word savage is, in our time, clearly a slur against people who live in societies that have not gone through industrialization and... That is pejorative in referring to people who are not in industrial societies. And so the point here is that he is looking like someone who doesn't even have an understanding of the role of railroad. What, what is a railroad? So uh, basically, he's just kind of blank on, on that one. And he says that he wanted to be upfront with Dagny about his intentions to leave and to tell her face to face, to not just write a note and get out of there, and wants to kind of be honorable in the situation. Although it's, to me, very, very bothersome. I, I'm very... Uh, just frustrated with the scenes like this in the book, and there's going to be many of them. This is just the first, and I've referred to them before. It's these moments where the men who are in the know, they are not telling Dagny the information that would help her to understand what is going on. And instead, they're keeping their secret society secret and making a decision for Dagny that she is not ready to hear 
the information about the real reasons that they're doing what they're doing. And that, to me, is very, very patronizing and very frustrating. Now, if I try my very hardest to imagine this from the, more, the most generous counter-argument, then I suppose what would come to mind is that there is a reality that sometimes people are not ready to have their illusions shed, that they have to go through a learning process of their own, and that if you try to pluck them out of their own journey in order to save them the trouble, then they're not really going to be able to participate in, in the way that you are hoping that they'll participate. You just kind of have to live through it. You can't just fast forward to the, the ending and, and of one particular experience and, and then try to kind of save them the trouble. You have to kind of go through these experiences and, and learn it for yourself. It's the kind of thing that a parent would surely envision for certain struggles that their children are having. And that's why the whole thing comes across as very patronizing to me when I read it. And so basically, I, I can understand, okay, there, I went into kind of the critical mode again, but really trying to imagine the counter argument here for why this is being done. And I do think that this is explained later in the book, and, and we'll tackle it directly when we get to that point. But when these men decide to obfuscate and not give Dagny the real reasons for the decisions that they're making, you could, if you're being very generous and imagining the counter-argument there, you could say that it, it would not have the desired effect anyway, that Dagny is still holding on to fighting the good fight and not ready to go on strike, not ready to let go of certain things that have to be let go of, certain illusions that have to be let go of, and you can't force someone to drop their illusions. And I think that's something we can all relate to, and we can also see it in other characters, right? There's plenty of other stories, novels, and movies where the hero has to go through a process where they shed their illusions until they're really ready to take that next step. And uh, that's, I think, what Ayn Rand is intending to produce here. But one last moment of frustration for me is this last paragraph, you know, right before Owen Kellogg kind of says the line, who is John Galt? Well, the phrase in that paragraph with his uh, shrug and smile, right? Um, here's, here's what it says, quote, he shrugged and smiled. He was alive for a moment, and it was the strangest smile she had ever seen. It held secret amusement and heartbreak 
and an infinite bitterness, unquote. I, the secret amusement, you know? It's like, really? I don't know. It, it almost seems taunting to me, except there's also that kind of heartbreak in there. But that's what Owen Kellogg seems to be feeling as Dagny perceives it. But just a couple lines up, look at this. Here's, here's this uh, in inner thought from Dagny. Quote, for the first time in her life, she felt helpless and beaten. So this here is the first injury, you could say. This is like, I don't know, to use the metaphor from earlier, the first rock being thrown up at Dagny in the tree. And here we've got a just the first in what's going to be a long line of injuries that lead Dagny to feel helpless and beaten for the first time. And that is, of course, the struggle, right? And we will see it again and again as Dagny is up against these situations and people that are making it more and more difficult for her to achieve the goals that she has for Taggart Transcontinental. So that brings us to the end of chapter one. And that chapter was just to kind of uh, refresh your memory. That was called the theme, the theme. Okay. And I suppose, you know, the theme has to do with all of these ways that those who want to move forward, the producers, they are stymied. And the fact that there's this decay setting in. So all these different scenes have demonstrations of that, and Dagny's going to fight against it. So that's the theme. And then chapter two is the chain. So why is chapter two called The Chain? Well, we will dig into that in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jonathan Seyfried. This is a Socialist Reads Atlas Shrugged. If you have been enjoying the podcast and would like to support my work, there is a link to my Patreon page in the show notes. Also, if you've got any comments or questions, I would love to hear from you. And the email address for the show is socialistreads at gmail.com, also in the show notes. And we will start with chapter two next time. Take care.